3: Welcome, everybody, to After Work Drinks, another week with me and Grace, and we have no intro still. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are two
4: journalists, magazine editors, BFFs, and this is our weekly catch-up over wine in the podcast form.
3: Nice. Yeah, I feel (laughs) like that really wraps it all up <laughs> encapsulates how it. are you how is perth how is the prison that you are in
4: yes yeah, so i'm in quarantine i've been like carving the days onto the wall i think this is day six or day five um and i feel like normally i would be complaining however i've spent the morning looking at footage and reading about the situation in melbourne at the housing commission towers around flemington And I feel like because of my direct experience right now, it's made me realize how insane what's happening over there is because I'm literally in a tower, which is a hotel, being quarantined because I've come from London and I'm being treated with like so much more care and respect and lack of policing and access to equipment and nursing and supplies than all of these people in Melbourne are. So, I feel like I can't complain and that situation is so fucked.
3: Yeah, and why have they chosen that place specifically to be so crazy?
4: I think around the whole area there was outbreaks and I think in one tower nine people tested positive or something or there were nine cases. So, basically in all these surrounding suburbs, they've started enforcing a lockdown till the end of July. But with these towers, they gave everyone no notice. No one could go out to get groceries. Like there's 500 police across nine towers full time. It's just insane. And there's all these, I was listening to this morning of all these recordings of tenants saying, I need to go and get supplies for my kid. I need to go and get milk for my baby. I need to go and get medication for blah, blah. And they were like, we don't know what's happening, but you just can't leave. There was just no orchestration. It was a total shit show um heaps so they had care packages of food being delivered by the government and people were opening their they weren't even getting a knock at the door they were opening their door and there was just like a vac vacuum pack sealed gross thing of vegetables they didn't even know how long it had been there because no one had knocked and then heaps of them were expired and out of date so people couldn't eat them so they started relying on local communities of people to bring care packages to cook meals a huge amount of the reason that the residents are able to eat and get medication is because of the goodwill of other people in the community dropping stuff off it's just a fucking mess and like the fact that i'm in the exact same situation when i've come from london which is like mm. the biggest hotspot spot ever and that I'm sitting in this nice hotel room, i am bought meals three times a day, I'm allowed to pick which meals I want, I get snacks in between, I can cool down for stuff if I want it, I can get Uber Eats if I want, they deliver me like bags of tea every second day, I get new towels when I want them. <laughs> like the fact that that's my experience, and I'm much more of a risk to the community than any of the people in these towers are, is just disgusting.
3: That's just so wild. The fact that they have to rely on the community to bring them food because they literally can't leave to get it themselves. And
4: there's a speaker system and they'll just get these blasts
3: over the speaker system saying,
4: you need to test for COVID-19. Like it's like something out of a fucking dystopian movie. It's just crazy. So we'll put in the show notes some um, things you can do about what's going on in Melbourne because it's really disproportionately affecting poor people and people of colour And, um, there are surrounding very white, very affluent neighborhoods that are getting like nowhere near this kind of treatment. So I think there's, uh, especially if you live in Victoria, there's like places you can write, um, letters to the premier and the housing commissioner and, um, places you can donate as well. So we'll pop all of that in there. So yeah, I know that's like such a, um, depressing note to start on, but I was like, I literally can't complain about being here because it's fine.
3: It's, yeah, that's so crazy. Um, I have been binging my new favorite show, which is Pose. And it's the best show ever. It's um, it's the show that got Billy Porter famous. And I always, for some reason, because I thought of Billy Porter as a Broadway star, I thought Pose was like a musical or a Broadway show. Or something I wouldn't right. be that interested in. Because I'm mm. not interested in broadway or musicals because i'm your basic (laughs) that's not basic being interested in musicals is like the most embarrassing basic thing ever and then when i realized that it was just this incredible drama show set in the 80s in new york city um in the kind of peak of the underground ballroom era um It is so good. The episodes are an hour long each. And also, it's funny because I was following heaps of the actors and actresses on Instagram already because they're just, most of them are like really cool trans activists. And then I realized that they were all in the show. So I was very pleasantly surprised. And yeah, it's just super interesting. Tugs on your heartstrings and like really good storylines, really great characters. I'm obsessed. I stayed up till one in the morning last night watching it. Oh my God. I stayed up mm-hmm. till five in the morning, but because of jet lag. <laughs> and then I also watched Bombshell finally. Have you seen that? No. I was. I don't know if you've ever done this, but do you ever kind of secondhand watch
4: movies on the plane? Because you can see it on someone oh, else's screen. So you yeah, kind of end up not. seeing like all of the. Uh, right. Yeah, I did that with Bombshell on the way here. So I feel like I saw. Um, a lot of the key plot points without actually watching it. But I can't get over how much Shelley Theron looks like Megan Kelly. It was like doing my fucking head in every time she came on screen.
3: I know. How good is she? It's I love nuts. her so much. She's literally, well, as you know, one of my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it? <laughs> really, really good. I was just surprised because I wanted to see it before it came out. And then I just it just dropped off my radar because I didn't hear anyone talking about it. And it's such a good movie. All about, yeah, Roger Ailes and... The scandal at Fox News and his sexual misconduct and sexual assault and all of these things that like happened right before the Harvey Weinstein thing. But we just heard hardly anything about it. I don't know if it was more of an American-centric thing. But I, I'm so shocked when you watch the movie, you're like, why the hell did we not hear so much more about this at the time? Yeah, I
4: feel like his timing was like lucky which is a gross thing to say but it almost i remember so there's the loudest voice which was a a tv show about it that i watched with russell Crowe and sienna miller weirdly um and that was the first thing i'd ever watched that was about it because i didn't really know much about it either um and i think yeah it all came out in 2016 so he kind of ducked the proper me too movement So it was still a scandal, but I think like not. But it's also so cool when
3: you when you see the ins and outs of how it happened and how brave these women were. It's just fucking epic. I like love Megan Kelly, even though we obviously have so many different views. But also the president of the United States going off on her on Twitter. Yeah, it's so wild. Before he became president, in
4: this horrible no man's land of left-wing feminist hating her because she was a right-wing commentator and then the right-wing is obviously not as a whole but like can be extremely sexist so she just kind of sat in the middle of this horrible no man's land
3: yeah and then she spoke out she chose to speak out about him which is great he's just so disgusting (laughs) so disgusting. So yeah, that was a really good movie. And then another really good movie that I watched was Queen mm-hmm. and Slim finally. I've been Amazing. watching it for weeks, but I finally finished it. Um and it's so good. <laughs> I keep putting it, it weeks. I keep putting it on and then having things happen and having to turn it off. Um and then my and then I hired it on Amazon and then it expired and I was like god. God. But, um, yeah, it's really good with Jodie Turner Smith and Daniel Kaluuya. And it's directed by a woman, Melina Masukis, who you said she did all the Beyonce music videos, eh?
4: She did, yeah, Formation, and I think maybe a couple other ones on Lemonade. I think she was, this might be her first full-length movie, even. I think she was a music director. Because it
3: is shot so cool. It's literally beautiful. The most beautiful movie. The soundtrack's amazing. The storyline's amazing. Jodie Turner-Smith is, like, the biggest babe in the world. It's really good.
4: (laughs) Incredible. I need to watch it. I've been so slack on the movie front, on the plane. I was like, I'm going to watch all the movies you recommended, like Peanut Butter Falcon and Honey Boy. And I just slept the whole way and then watched five episodes of Friends, which is so sad. (laughs) I just have no brain capacity on a plane to consume anything meaningful. I was extremely excited this week because... The Hamilton musical came out, which a little known fact about me is I love a musical um, and I've been trying to see Hamilton for years. I was actually in New York when the original cast was on and it had just debuted but I was 20 and so poor and I think it was $200 for a ticket and I was like that's wild I'm not going to pay for it and then it went up to $800 for a ticket or something and I just should have done it but this Disney film came out which was a movie recording the original production and as I was watching it I feel like I really watched it as did everyone through a very different lens given recent social events And as I was watching it, I was like, this is this musical, as much as I love it and love the songs and think it's incredible, is kind of exactly what's wrong with America. (laughs) Because it's just about all of these founding fathers who are white dudes who basically all owned slaves and slavery is just never touched on, even though it's like the entire context of the era that the musical is set in. They have like two or three throwaway lines about it. So then I was Googling afterwards because I was really troubled because I enjoyed it so much but then also realised that it was probably really problematic. And it turned out that even at the time that it came out, Toni Morrison was against it and that all these people have been writing about how fucked it is but no one's listening because everyone just wants to celebrate the history of America in this really happy, positive
3: Glamorous, shiny, palatable way. I know nothing about Hamilton, so what's the premise of the actual story? It's about Alexander Hamilton,
4: who was one of the founding fathers, and it's a musical that's all done with hip hop. <laughs> it's actually super lame. It's like not at all cool. It's and um, all the whole the whole reason it became such a sensation is because no one in the whole cast was white, except the person who played King George III, who's evil. So it was like you had all of these kind of iconic white men from American history, but they were all being played by um, Latinx people and black people and Asian people, and it was kind of this retelling of history. It's not even a retelling of history, right. but it was, it was cast in a super diverse way, and the writer is a, a Latin guy, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it was seen as very groundbreaking at the time. But then there's also the spin of it of like, okay, you're making that the only roles available for black men on Broadway is playing slave owners and not even acknowledging that they were slave owners in the play. (laughs) So it's kind of, it was such a sensation at the time, like Barack Obama had him over to the white house and he performed at the white house and their friends. And like it won all these Grammys and Tonys and it's such a cultural sensation and people saw it as really progressive. But now that you watch it through this current lens, you're kind of like, well, it's not really good enough because the whole reason America is such a mess now, I feel like, is because they don't understand their own history. Mm. And things like that is exactly why they don't understand it because you're given this really glossy, sanitized version of what history actually looked like, where Americans are freedom fighters and will do anything to get their own freedom and where they're amazing hard workers and everyone's, like, super intelligent and it's all inclusive and it's kind of like that's not really what happened. And that's why everyone's confused and think racism doesn't exist because they don't understand. <laughs> so now I don't know what Hamilton. to think. I know. Hamilton is like a microcosm for everything that's going on in America and I just don't know what to do because I love all of the stupid songs.
3: Yeah, don't you listen to the soundtrack all the time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the land of the fucked free being in ruins... Uh, Kanye West has announced that he is running for President of the United States this year, 2020. Which seems like quite a late announcement, in all honesty. soon, yeah.
4: (laughs) We're pushing August. Um, I know, this is such a mess. What was your first reaction?
3: My first reaction was just classic. I just thought that... That doesn't even surprise me, which is annoying. But he obviously said he was going to run years ago at the MTV Awards.
0: I have decided in 2020 to run for
3: president. And then he said, I think recently he kind of said 20, I think he tweeted 2024. So everyone was like, oh, you're putting off your plans. And then he just decided, "Nope, fuck it. Going to run. But he hasn't actually filled out any paperwork or done any of the groundwork. Yes. So I was reading we know a of. really
4: great New York Times article this morning where they were interviewing. I just feel so sorry for the New York Times staff now because they just have to entertain these insane stories like they're real because you can't not report on them. Like, you know how Michael Barbaro on the Daily will be like, and then the president said that no one was tear gassed, but there was 900 witnesses that saw people be tear gassed and he has to ask these questions like they're real questions even though they're insane. I feel like yeah. that's what this
3: is like. So they introduce- and then he always does that. Um, then he always does that. What does he do? That noise? He's like, mm. or I, yeah, because I notice that I do a similar noise when when you when you're talking, and then it always reminds me of Michael Barbaro.
4: You are the good. Michael Barbaro of this podcast. <laughs> you definitely are. No, um, he. Yeah, so they interviewed this like political strategist and they were like, how could Kanye West actually win? And he just answered really straight face and was basically like, it's impossible. So he could find a random small political party to join, which seems unlikely, or he could run as an independent. But the cutoff for running as an independent is over in at least six states. And if you want to run as an independent, you need thousands of signatures in person across the country. So you need to a hire a team of hundreds of people to go out and canvas for signatures, which will cost millions of dollars. So he needs to put millions of dollars of his own money into a campaign that is absolutely destined to fail. So I feel like this is literally just a publicity stunt.
3: There's currently only one presidential candidate named Kanye West in the FEC database for the 2020 election year, and that's a Green Party candidate named Kanye D's Nuts West, D-E-E-Z-N-U-T-Z West. So, but isn't there that thing where, like you said, he could literally just can you just tweet to his fans, sign, put my name, write my name down?
4: Oh, I mean, I guess he could. I don't really know. I'm so. I'm in two minds about this where on one hand, I think it's just really stupid and I don't really want to talk about it because I think it might just be a PR stunt and that he's going to drop an album in five days and that this is just hype before he launches something or he's just announced that gap Yeezy collaboration. And as you know, I'm just very cynical about these things. I just feel like there's some, you know, this is a Kardashian adjacent person. There's some end game in it for him. So part of me is like, don't take it seriously. It's just stupid. But then the other part of me thinks that this could actually potentially be an effective tool for Donald Trump, who we know that Kanye West is friends with because the key areas that Joe Biden is beating Trump is among black voters and among young voters who would be Kanye's target market. So even if he pulls a handful of voters away from voting for the Democrats That's at least, even if they're not voting for Trump, that's at least a vote that's not going to the Democrats, which could really actually impact the election, which sounds a bit like hyperbolic, but it's something that could potentially happen. And then that does become very terrifying.
3: Yeah. It's crazy. And like the amount of things Kanye has said that are problematic is just beyond like he's anti-abortion He's tweeted stuff about LGBT rights before he supports Trump.
4: <laughs> yeah, he he tweeted that slavery was a choice. Yep, a few years ago. I think it's funny. So I, I was listening to, um, still processing, did an episode on Kanye West in 2018, but it's a really good um, breakdown of how he went from because he really was like the golden child of the kind of, not of the left wing, but he really, you know, remember when he went on TV during Hurricane Katrina and he wasn't even very famous and he basically said, George Bush doesn't care about black people. And he was one of the only really vocal figures raising money and bringing awareness to it and talking about it on TV. And I, people just loved him and he the, the things he talked about in music were so much aligned with like the, the plight and struggle of black men in America. And now he's just completely 180'd. Do you think it's just money? Do you think money is just like the overriding thing of just money warps everything?
3: I don't know. Because even Kim Kardashian was like, Kanye West doesn't even support Trump's politics. He doesn't even care about the politics. He just likes him as a human being because other people don't like him. And it's controversial. And I was like, that's just so annoying. <laughs> but yeah, I went to one of Kanye's OG rants. Which is one of my claim to fame's when I was seventeen years old, as in like a concert, and he was ranting like a live concert where he stopped singing and rapping instead of ranting, and then went off stage and didn't come back. Oh, he, the
4: one he did that the at one of the concerts of his I saw became really famous because he was he stopped and was like everyone stand up, everyone stand up, and then everyone was standing up, and you could see that there was people who were in wheelchairs. And he was yelling at them, oh, stand that's up, right. stand up. And everyone was being like, they're in a wheelchair. And then um, I guess that wasn't really a rant. He kind of ranted about something else and did that. And then he realized they were in a wheelchair and just kept singing. And then everyone made him out to be an asshole. So I was very Team Kanye for ages because I was like, people are taking things that he's doing and twisting them into something negative when it's not always negative. Like that was just an honest mistake. But he's just become the person that everyone was scared he was going to become.
3: yeah. And then there's the fact that he's been really open about having mental health issues as well. And it's like, what part does that play in the way he acts publicly?
4: Yes, that's such a good point because I feel kind of, I felt for a while, we talked about this, I think, years ago, um, about feeling really uncomfortable with like the spectacle of Kanye West because it seems quite obvious that it's tied to Serious mental health issues which it's not even a secret like he's been hospitalized he's talked about having bipolar disorder he has
3: bipolar yeah
4: and then I just feel like I don't really know what to do because his actions still have or potentially have massive consequences but I'm very sympathetic about someone having mental health issues but I also just don't know where the line is because he's such a provocative person and he also his whole brand that he's made so much money off is based around controversy so you can't even really tell where the line ends and begins yeah exactly
3: yeah and then you can't just excuse someone for supporting donald trump because i don't know yeah it's really hard but i feel that way i don't know if this is a thing we can say on the podcast, but I feel that way about Britney Spears.
4: Yes, no. Oh my god, such a good conversation,
3: yes. I just think that it's (laughs) crazy. Like, I think when I look at Britney Spears's public presence, I worry that she's not doing well. And she's been in and out of rehab She's been really vocal about that. I'm, I'm pretty sure the last time she was publicly in in a, I don't think it was rehab, or I guess a rehabilitation center, it would be, yeah, was like last year. Um And then she's been posting all of these really intense Instagrams where she's dancing and kind of got like really, her makeup is everywhere. She looks like there's something going Frazzled, on. at the very least yeah yeah like really frazzled and then everyone's taking the piss and sharing it and laughing and joking and she does this video saying she burnt down her gym and I know that that's like a crazy thing to have happened but I don't know
4: yeah I feel the same way where I feel like with Britney Spears um we're laughing at her, not with her. That's the thing that makes yes. me feel uncomfortable about And I, I'm sure not everyone is. There might be people listening to this saying, no, I don't feel like that. I feel like she's just cute and quirky and I love her content and I'm on board. But I do feel like culturally it's this thing of laughing at this person who seems quite unhinged and it comes in the context of her entire like persona, which was to go from this massive – the famous almost child star through to having a very public breakdown that everyone just lapped up and consumed with the most gleeful excitement. Every single thing that she went through, it was never really, I get it was 2006 and it was a different time, but there wasn't really any serious discussion about mental health or protecting her mental health. It was just, Oh my God, ha ha ha. Britney shaved her head and is attacking the paparazzi with an umbrella. That was always the conversation. And I think because We never came to terms with that. We now also feel okay poking fun of what she's doing now because we were, like, taught when we were teenagers that it was fine to make fun of her when she was going through
3: all the first stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. I just worry about her. I just hope that she's doing okay. But, like, I don't know. Maybe this is just what she's like as a human being and maybe she is happy and healthy and fine. But it just doesn't seem – it seems worrying. And I feel like if that was someone – you knew personally or through a friend of a friend, you'd be asking your friend if they're doing okay. But with Britney, we're just sharing it all and laughing.
4: Yeah. And I think about how, like with Amy Winehouse, did you ever see that documentary Amy about her? Yeah. It was so amazing, but it, it, it really broke my heart where they just showed all these bits of Jay Leno and Colbert and all these late night hosts and just how savagely everyone made fun of her and mocked her. And how everyone was just kind of fine with it at the time. And I feel like Britney Spears is another one of those people where she's just become the butt of this joke. And it's still a person who everyone can kind of see is like struggling in some capacity or has struggled
3: in some capacity. The Amy Winehouse thing was heartbreaking.
4: Yeah, just really awful. It's just people seem to forget that this was a 24-year-old young woman going through horrible mental health issues. And I think that's that whole conversation about how we deal with celebrities with mental health issues is really interesting because there's an element of feeling like it isn't our place to judge or make diagnoses or make assumptions about people we don't know. But then also sometimes it's like, it's so obvious by this person's behavior that it's kind of irresponsible to to turn a blind eye and just consume their wacky behaviour for entertainment. Mm, exactly. Going back to Kanye West quickly, I just feel like it freaks me out that the the celebrity running for president thing is going to become so normalised that it will just become a part of culture, which is just such a mess.
3: I know, like Kanye West running for president like we were saying on the phone the other night, makes it seem normal that Donald Trump is president because he has so much more experience. And it also, I was seeing a tweet yes. the other day, um, a tweet the other day where it just proves how men look at job descriptions. And men are like, I could do that. Yeah. yes. And just women never do. Exactly. Men apply for a job when they think they fit 60% of the criteria and women won't apply until they think they fit 90% of criteria. Kanye is... A prime example. Oh, it's so true.
4: It's actually nuts. I think it's just um, I feel like there's just this connection between Donald Trump and the Kardashians and reality TV culture, and like it's all just. I feel like it's not a coincidence that it's Kanye and that he's married to Kim. You know what I mean? I think when you're a a reality TV star, you just your whole understanding of what's important in society gets so warped and you think you're so important that you literally think that you're capable of running the country because you feel like the whole country is in love with you. And then that actually mm. got confirmed to Donald Trump. So Donald, so Kanye's probably like, oh, maybe they do want Kim as first lady.
3: The thought of Kim Kardashian <laughs> taking over from Melania Trump as first lady of the United States, it actually makes sense. <laughs> as a mirror of a whole like it just makes mm. sense that the kardashians would one day make their way to the white house
4: the ultimate twist i wouldn't honestly it wouldn't surprise me coming from them i feel like there's no, nothing that's I that mean. family can't do yeah
3: i mean watching keeping up with the kardashians in the white house would just be so iconic if it wasn't so terrifying <laughs> I would watch 100%, obviously. Oh, my God.
4: Everyone would watch. God, they're definitely scheming behind the scenes.
3: Okay, shall we take a quick break? Because we are seasoned professionals (laughs) two years into podcasting and we thought we'd mix it up a bit.
4: I don't know if we'll put this in the podcast, but I was listening to (laughs) it. Because we don't get – we don't get – the ads that we get geoplayed are different to what most of you guys get because we're in the UK when we're listening back. So I was listening to an episode um, yesterday and it was like mid sentence. It just went like, da 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 da. This ad is brought to you by Barbara and it just was like a mess.
3: Oh, what? One of our one of our podcasts.
4: Yeah, and it just started just playing this, like, music. It was so funny. I was like, for fuck's sake, we're such a mess. (laughs) Everyone just puts up with so much.
3: (laughs) Okay, I feel like we start putting some music in the middle, even though it's more annoying to edit, but then at least ads will have a place to go.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
4: We were super stoked to see Ghislaine Maxwell arrested this week. I think we talked a few weeks ago about how um, I had watched the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix and was just flabbergasted that that woman was not in jail. Um, And then I kind of, I guess I willed it into fruition because now she is in jail. And she's saying that she is going to spill the beans on everyone. So the whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein – Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile with a pedophile ring billionaire. Ghislaine Maxwell is his girlfriend who solicited and helped procure a lot of underage women for this disgusting pedophile ring. Ghislaine Maxwell has avoided jail time so far. The whole reason there was a conspiracy around Jeffrey Epstein's death is because people thought that he had been murdered to stop him from revealing who else was part of this network um, to save himself. And now she's basically going to do the same thing, where she's the reports are that she's going to spill the beans on all of the powerful people that were involved in this ring um, in order to save herself from a life sentence. So
3: you're actually reminding me. It was literally like this time last year, and I was in LA, and I was listening to a daily episode, and they were talking all about how all of these files were going to be opened up and that was literally because of the epstein trial so is it because epstein died that all of that went away like you know how there was all that stuff about prince andrew and all of these documents being unsealed that were going to go public and then that all just disappeared when jeffrey epstein died so i wonder what's going to happen now with her trial
4: i it's crazy that it took this long to arrest her i know that's when i was watching this documentary i was like there's literally 48 eyewitnesses on camera talking about this Yeah, it's just nuts. I wanted to ask you about how you feel about Ghislaine Maxwell because I feel like I have very conflicted feelings about her where I flip between hating her even more than Jeffrey Epstein because I feel like women should know better, which I don't know if that's a mess to feel that way. And then the other side of me feels not sorry for her but like almost sorry for her where I feel like she must have been coerced or emotionally manipulated um, into doing these things and that she was also a victim of Jeffrey Epstein. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to me. And I wonder how you feel about it because I feel like both are kind of problematic in their own way.
3: Yeah, I. it's a hard one eh? because it's hard to see women as being inherently bad in the way Mm. that you can kind of – think of men i think that definitely she's been manipulated and definitely there was well not definitely but i would say there was probably some form of emotional abuse and really crazy power dynamics because didn't he used to um wasn't there money involved like didn't he used to pay for a lot of stuff for her and it was there was some something something sorry all this is just coming back to me as we talk but wasn't there something where he had like secretly paid for a bunch of oh no that was Fergie Jeffrey Epstein had paid for like Fergie to get out of debt literally what but uh, yeah (laughs) and she had to come out with a statement saying that she should never have let him um but yeah there was definitely obviously some form of manipulation and power play and abuse and and then that's the other thing where it's like if someone's being if someone's a victim of emotional abuse if she is say then how much of her actions can we excuse her from
4: yeah I think we really don't know how to deal with women who do evil stuff because it feels like it's so evil stuff in our understanding of evil stuff as being um super violent basically super violent or or abusive towards children especially I think that like really sets off something in us because we are so conditioned to see women as like loving and caring and maternal so the idea that a woman could use um the asset of being an older woman who seems trusting to lure these girls because so many of the girls in the epstein documentary said that they didn't freak out when they would get to these mansions because she was there and that if they just got there and it was just a 50 year old man they would have screamed or ran but because this woman was there who was making them feel really safe so she was like so integral to how successful this machine
3: was totally and that's the thing with even um harvey weinstein and all of these young actresses Mm. they felt safe because they were dealing with his um assistants who were women mostly and women organizing yeah. the meetings and women taking them to, to the hotel rooms it's um pretty horrific that you could do that to another human being that's just like yeah i just think i'm just always shocked at how far humans can go for money or power
4: yeah and it's like is it it's like is it a mess to assume that a woman just can't be a sexually depraved person Because surely, obviously, that's a thing. But I just feel like we have so few reference points to understand it, if that's true, that it's really hard to imagine. And for me, I just always think, well, she just loved this guy, so she just did what she had to do to be with this guy. And when you think about serial killer couples, the narrative is always this horrible man and this woman who was so in love with him that she went along with it. And Mm. I think that we... It's like, it's like how, um, you know, have you seen that movie Monster?
3: Yeah. I was talking about it last night yeah. when I was watching Bombshell.
4: Ah, Charlize the Chameleon strikes again. Mm. Um, but that's about the serial killer Eileen Wernos. She's probably the only famous female serial killer. But she was a prostitute who was sexually assaulted by most of the men that she killed. And I think that a lot of women have this kind of underlying... Um, empathy or sympathy with her in a sense because it feels so different to the male serial killers that we know about she was like repeatedly abused as throughout her life and was in many ways defending herself (laughs) and then probably Mm. was like tipped over the edge and just started killing johns but i think there's like a level of being able to empathise and understand in a way that nobody can with famous male serial killers because it just seems like nihilistic violence for no reason apart from dominating women. And I just think that, like, we don't really have any cultural examples of women who just hurt people for the sake of hurting people. And so people like Ghislaine Maxwell are really confusing to us because, like, what the fuck is your deal?
3: Yeah. I re- yeah, totally. I would love to know the ins and outs of their relationship but I would say it does sound similar to her being crazy in love with him and him emotionally manipulating her but even if that is what is happening how much of the blame does that absolve her from because every you have to be autonomous of your own decisions
4: exactly that's what I mean because I'm like and it doesn't even even if you just did something because you're in love with a guy that's not an emotional that's not like some magic spell that therefore means you don't have cognitive understanding or a moral compass anymore and as if any human being could be in that situation with a crying teenage girl and not know that it's really wrong so then when i talk about it like this i hate her so much with even more hatred than i hate a jeffrey epstein which is wrong i feel like our um expectation for a certain type of man is that he will want to do stuff like this which is just such a mess so then it feels so much more perverted when women do it. But it's like, no, both are equally as awful. But I just need to figure out how to get it out of my brain that she's worse.
3: Well, it's because you expect her to... We expect other women to be allies. And I think that's why it, That's even feeds into what we were talking about last week with women um, wanting to tear other women down in the workplace. It, it hurts more. It hurts deeper than an asshole man. Mm. When a woman mm. treats you like shit. It would always hurt more.
4: Yeah, I actually had a quick, interesting insight on that, um, which is I talked to my mum about it after the episode went up. And she was saying that she felt like we maybe missed. She was like, I know you guys get it, but she was like, you maybe missed just how hard it is when you're in a male dominated industry. Like she works in um, the financial sector, how much you have to change just to survive. Like, and especially starting in the
3: industry years ago. Because we have always worked in very female-dominated industry. Yeah, and
4: have only started working in the last decade. And, you know, if you're a woman who went into a male-dominated industry in the 80s, like, you really didn't have a choice. It was if you want a career, you needed to adapt and act that way. Otherwise, you just weren't going to get a job. So I think that that's... anyway. That's maybe something that we missed last week. But, yeah, it's 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 a tough one. It is. I'm just really happy that she was finally arrested. The only redeeming thing she can do now is reveal those names. Reveal them. 100%. I
3: want to know yeah. everyone. Same. I just want to know what how involved Trump was as well. I'm so interested. And I'm so interested as to how involved Prince Andrew was, the little slime bag. Ugh he's he's so crazy can we just please um remember that he said that he that he said he was at pizza express in woking on the night that <laughs> he was in a london club meeting that woman and that he doesn't sweat anymore and he just this is the most sweaty disgusting pig <laughs> and he said that photo was doctored and everyone was like it obviously isn't and because his fingers no were chubby <laughs> Oh god! And then everyone's too busy slamming Meghan Markle for existing and being a feminist. I. Meghan
4: Markle, I'm going to say it. Meghan Markle got in more trouble for Mexit than Prince Andrew got in for existing for being linked to and accused of being a paedophile. And that is (laughs) the tea.
3: That's where we're at. That's where we're at. Something else that has caught our attention this week. Uh, down Under, actually, is the um, controversy surrounding the Instagram account Aussie Woman of Colour, who was the founder of the Pull Up campaign, um, asking brands and uh, magazines and the media to to commit to more diversity, whether that is um, behind the scenes or whether it's posting on their Instagram a diverse set of people from here on forwards and actually literally signing documents to say that this is what they're going to do, like a proper contract moving forwards, which is actually a really incredible initiative. And she was getting so much traction. She had the likes of Vogue, Camilla and Mark and Model Co to committing to representation on social media and behind the scenes. Um, But then essentially what happened was last week, there was some drama on social media with, alleged DMs being shared where the woman behind the Aussie woman of color account was saying that, um, you know, country road needed to pull up as a brand. um, And someone messaged the owner of the account saying that actually country road has just done like an incredible campaign with two Aboriginal models um, and that they're, they're quite diverse and rah, rah. And then allegedly Aussie woman of color replied, Insinuating that the models that Country Road used look too Eurocentric, um, and that they, you know, needed to do better and yeah, essentially saying that it wasn't enough. So
4: Nathan McGuire, who was one of the models uh involved in the campaign, posted a really amazing um video discussing why this whole concept is so not just problematic, but actually like very traumatic for Indigenous people. And we'll play a clip of that here because he explains it better than we could. Uh,
0: The responses are what were triggering for myself. Um, And I thought it was very important to highlight these statements that were made about um, Aboriginal people. Now, the point and the main thing we have to remember here is that the the person that this Indigenous creative is engaging in conversation with is a non-Indigenous person. So already we have a conversation started by a non-Indigenous person speaking on behalf of Aboriginal people but misrepresenting our culture and misrepresenting what we stand for. Now, the responses to the images of myself and to the other model were against what Aboriginal people believe. Um, they were commentary on my complexion um, and also the other model's complexion and features saying that they were not indicative of what an, a real Aboriginal person looks like. Now, for us for us Aboriginal people, and for mob who are watching, we know how much weight this carries, and the emotional um, baggage that that is weighed down on us, and the generational trauma that that it can trigger. So it's a highly sensitive subject, and it's um, it's important for me to speak on because when we have some, when we have people who Are using our stories, our faces against us and not engaging with people in our community in a way that is wanting to understand and wanting to learn and they're taking that perspective to create a personal narrative for their own agenda, that's when We cannot sit down and be silent in our space that we have created.
4: So I think that why this conversation is so important is because the whole concept of lightness of complexion or being um, quote-unquote dark enough is a really fucking traumatic topic for Indigenous Australians because it was literally a government-sanctioned legally binding policy the white australia policy up until very recently in our history um and i think that i think that the reason and and obviously other traumatic injustices like the stolen generation and i think that this whole situation really highlights how important it is that indigenous people have like a very big voice in any conversations about diversity in Australia and that they are either leading the conversations or are co-leading the conversations. Because I think what happened here was that you had someone with incredible intentions who created something that was actually an extremely effective tool for pressuring a whole industry that really needed to change to start making tangible change right like no one can deny that that's what happened but I think that when you're a single person you're just incapable of representing the whole remit of you know like the phrase Aussie women of color it's just like no one person is able to represent the whole breadth of what it is to be an Aussie woman of color and so it's kind of inevitable that there's going to be like things that you'll miss or things that you'll understand or missteps that you will make because you just don't have that cultural understanding. So it's kind of like the problem is how do we decide who leads this conversation?
3: So we haven't actually said that Aussie woman of colour is a non-black Australian woman of colour, so she's not She's not Aboriginal.
4: Yes. And so I think this whole situation is should be taken as a learning curve and not as an opportunity to cancel someone or vitriolically hate someone online you know it's you can you can disagree with the way someone behaved applaud their intentions and a lot of the impact that they had agree that maybe they weren't the best person to take on this cause overall and still not think that they should be getting like vitriolic like, hate online all at once Like you can feel all of those things at once you know what I mean
3: yeah totally and you can also feel angry and you can kind of be upset and that's all valid as well because Nathan McGuire was really upset in that Instagram TV he did he started crying at the end of it saying that you know there's a time for people to talk and there's a time for people to listen and I've been involved in this conversation from the start and really involved in the Australian fashion industry and I know who our allies are and I know what's going on and there are so many people like me who could be speaking about this cause. Um, But then, as you were saying, this is the time where more than ever you want people to stand up and be allies to those who need it. So you can see how she probably did have really good intentions and she probably was trying to make a big difference. And then, you know, someone someone makes a misstep along the way, albeit like a big one. I'm not excusing her for her behavior at all. But I'm just saying that there has to be room for us to make mistakes as we learn and grow because otherwise people just are going to be too scared to do anything. People are just going to be too scared to speak up and then change actually won't happen because this is proper tangible change. Like these brands have been saying that they're going to, do something about it, but this is actually signing contracts, and now all of that seems like it's void because of this huge bust up. Like the the Instagram account's been deleted now, so I don't know what's happened yeah. to all of that impact that was really positive.
4: I think when everyone started to properly engage with this topic, and like, yes, it is shamefully late, and started um, reading and getting involved and doing anti racism education and everything we've been talking about for the last couple of months. Um, I think that there was there's a feeling where you're so passionate that you want to rush to action, and I think that I think that it's really important that the right people are leaders of this conversation, even if you feel so passionate about it and you're willing to go out there and you're willing to go out and do the work and you're willing to call out brands and you're willing to be the person who, you know, risks it all and whatnot, it doesn't necessarily make you the most equipped person to be leading that conversation. Mm. And I think that that's like who is the most equipped person um, is kind of maybe the conversation we should be having instead of like maybe uh, the founder of that account showed that she was maybe not the most equipped person to be spearheading that movement. So maybe the conversation should have shifted to, well, can we create a um, network of people who run this account? So it becomes like a team of people where there's accountability and uh, several voices in the room and decisions are being made in a more like business-like administrative way and there's a leadership team and it's a bit more, um, you know, official. So a great example of what is probably the right way to go about this is in the US, the Black in Fashion Council has been launched by Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, who's the editor in chief of Teen Vogue, and Sandrine Charles. And that is a network in collaboration with the CFDA that has a centralized leadership team that will work with funding, collaboration, and talking to fashion and beauty brands about like realistic achievable goals that everyone can work towards. So it's like an official uh, version of what this Instagram account was trying to do. And I think that um, as great as the intentions of the Instagram account were, something like this where it's like off the bat a very um, professionally organised institution with accountability and leadership, that's the kind of thing that we probably need more in Australia right now. So we know that like the right people are the ones making the decisions, making the commentary, having the conversations. Because even the pull-up campaign, as needed as it was and as necessary as it was, it was really based around this idea of um, commenting on Instagram, saying you've got 24 hours, um, citing into DMs, that kind of thing. And I think that there's probably a more effective way that the same goals could have been achieved spearheaded yeah, totally. by a different group of people that were consulting with the right people. Another example was um, the uh, there was a post that was done on the Aussie Women of Colour account where the names of Indigenous Australians who had died in custody were used as hashtags and um, I was we were taught from a really young age at school that it's like um, offensive and triggering in Indigenous culture to say the names of elders who have died And so even when I saw that, I was like, oh, no, you're not supposed to do that. You know, like there's a reason that these names don't go viral in Australia and it's not because, um, I mean, there is definitely a lack of media attention on deaths in custody, but that viral hashtag RIP George Floyd thing doesn't fit in the Australian culture because that is not how we pay respects to Indigenous Australians. Just things like that which are like, you would know if you had someone in the room. And we talk about this of um, we just need people of colour in a room, but it's like people of colour aren't a monolith and no one person can represent the complexities of every single culture (laughs) in one go. So it's really important that we never allow one person to have all that pressure put on them because they're literally inevitably going to fail.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's, again... I completely get why these mistakes just need to be called out. And I completely get why people need to be held accountable. But it's, again, like what we were talking about last week with this cancel culture that just kind of makes me hate the internet. When people just, just gleefully send people like horrific messages and tear people down. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just... I hate that part of the internet. I hate that public kind of shaming people.
4: Yeah, I think like someone like Nathan McGuire delivered such a nuanced, beautiful, (laughs) thoughtful message about this topic that was immediately about him. And it's like such an example of how to have a useful conversation in the wake of things like this. And it's like the absolute opposite of anonymous Instagram accounts going and like, sending threats to someone or like bombarding their page or like um, literally sending like horrible death threats and things like that. I just think that it's really important to know when to like listen and to not force yourself into, to not assume the role of leader of a movement. It should be appointed to you. And I agree with all of that. And I, but I also think at the same time that we need to make sure that we're not creating a culture where it's easier to not care, <laughs> because yeah, that's it's the easier to not do anything. Want, you know, if it's if it's if it's literally in everyone's best interests to not care, to not speak out, to not try, to not messily engage. I think we have just robbed people on the internet of um, any sort of. It's not even the benefit of the doubt, but it's just like we always project the worst possible intentions onto anything that someone does on the internet. And we always assume the worst in them. And I think that that creates a culture where life is just easier for people to just like stay off and not give a shit, you know? Um, And if we just try a little bit to criticize people and hold people accountable always, but to make sure we're doing it in a way that is productive and educational and thoughtful and actually helpful um, instead of in a way that's, yeah, like, being so psyched that someone's fucked up and like jumping up and down on them with glee.
3: Yeah, I think the best example of this happening really recently is when Munro Bergdorf, an amazing British trans woman, called out L'Oreal for their support of the Black Lives Matter movement. We talked about this um, on the podcast when it happened. L'Oreal had said something along the lines of it's always better to speak out rather than stay silent. And Munro called them out because a few years earlier she had spoken out about racism and white supremacy and L'Oreal had dumped her from being an ambassador for them. So she spoke out. She called them out. Um, Jamila Jamil also called them out. And then on Jamila's recent podcast, they talk about what went on behind the scenes. And what went on was Jamila actually went to L'Oreal directly, organized a conversation between Munro and the CEO of L'Oreal. They talked on Zoom for two hours. Munro spoke about... Her concerns. She spoke about the way it made her feel. She spoke about like it was intense. The hatred she got at the time. The articles that were written about her. It was horrific. They had a really constructive conversation at the end of it. L'Oreal asked her to be a part of their diversity board, and they also donated a large portion of money to her chosen charity. And it was funny because Munro and Jamila were speaking about how how they went back and forth um about this offer trying to figure out if she wanted to be associated with this brand again after they'd done so much to hurt her and so much to harm the movement and then they ultimately decided that the point of activism is to encourage people to act it would be being the opposite of an activist if you're say if you're declining a brand trying to make change and trying to do so um, and make amends and be better and to help the movement now and i think that that's like completely encompasses where we're at right now like people would generally rather say stuff you you're cancelled than actually try to help to teach people and help them unpack why they made a mistake and how they can learn from it and how they can be better
4: or even just give them like time to address the problem because I think, yes, it's cringe now that every fashion brand that we follow is suddenly putting up pictures of black models for the first time. We 100% agree. We feel fucking awkward when we see it. We posted that meme on our Instagram account about it. It's cringeworthy, but unfortunately it is the only, like, if we want change, we can't then criticize people who change. We can, we don't have to applaud them. We don't have to jump in and be like, amazing. Clap, clap, clap. We can just say nothing and watch to see if it's long-term or to see if it's tokenistic. It's really important to give brands the opportunity to be better and to wait and wait cynically and wait with trepidation. And people. And, and people. And people. Like, it's if we don't believe that people have the propensity for change, we're fucked.
3: Because, yeah, lit- literally like you said before, at the moment it feels as though the brands that are sitting back and saying nothing – are getting so much less shit than the brands that are saying something. Which yes, they're be having right.
4: an easier time. And you look at—I um, would just try and like dig around for some like palatable white celebrities and influencers you follow who posted a black square and have posted nothing about it since—and um, check out their comments versus the comments of people who are messily trying to advocate. Like, yeah, the people who went straight back to posting about their shoes and their outfits and their bags are getting nothing. <laughs> Which creates a culture in which, like, it's preferable to not give a shit. It's like Dave Chappelle once did a special where he just said, if you're going to win a fight, you need to have imperfect allies. Because (laughs) if you're waiting for perfect allies, it's going to be a very small amount of people who are working with you.
3: Totally. And with that little rant, our babies, we are going to leave you for another week. Actually, for another three days Because we have a, obviously, interview episode coming out on Saturday, which, uh, not to toot our own horns, but we think you are going to really, really love this conversation. It's not even our own horns. It's the guest. Let's be honest.
4: Yes. So we are super excited for this one to come out. And we love you guys. Please rate, review, and subscribe.
3: Yeah. Is it better to,
4: like, I feel like that just becomes a sing-song in people's heads. Please. I don't even... What does subscribing do?